The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Other horns don't. Everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's a selfless thing play so far. Everything with an attitude. Got a family. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Young and play against them and make his ass play. That's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. This is a mauling, folks, a mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, powered by Bama Hammer. Tom, SEC champs. That has a nice ring to it, huh? Man, it does have a nice ring to it. We are uh, we are getting used to th- – this is almost like a home field advantage as, as many times as we've played there uh, between kickoff classics – and between uh, SEC championship games in, in the past few years, um, I, I'm enjoying that little 30 minute car ride. Yeah, you know it's it's um, it's nice, right, to get to to get to win the SEC, and uh, and there's still something to that. I, th- I think that's still you know significant. Saban's won a couple of them. He makes a big deal out of it, and I think appropriately so. Um, you know, the conference championship seems to carry more and more sway, and it's only been two years in, in sort of this playoff format. But the conference conference championship really seems to to carry some sway. And uh, it's just damn good when you think about coworkers and peers and, and uh, you know, kind of people that you interact with that, uh, that um, SEC champion, right? No, man, this is by far the best conference in, the, in football. Uh, you know, people call this the uh, farm system or the NFL practice squad. And, um, you know, when you, can, when you can win this thing, it means a lot. Obviously, the, the East is down this year. Um, you know, uh, there are some people that would like the top two teams to play in this game. Uh, if that would have been the case, that might have been two teams from the West. Um, but um, I'm, I'm glad. that I, The only thing I will say is I wish we could have played them strength on strength. And we'll get into that in a minute. Um, you know, I, I love playing in this game. But I would have loved to have played with Will Greer as a starting quarterback. This is not the same team that started six and zero. Um, they're a shell of themselves from where they were, you know, halfway through the season. And uh, I would have loved to play them with strength on strength because there will be some people that will come back and say, "Well, you know, we didn't have this person and we didn't have this person." And um, I, I wish that wouldn't have been, you know, I wish that wouldn't have been in play. Yeah, I hear you, and I, I don't disagree with that. You know, that's you know all we can do is play who who they put out there, and uh, you know if you want to call that an indictment against Alabama, then then that's just not you not paying attention, right? Because it's, it's not something that we did. It's not something that we had any control of. They still won the East, and uh, they still have a top ranked defense. Uh, you know, they were a ten win. I like you know it was a little tongue in cheek the way Saban said it, but. I liked the way he said it, and I still also agree with his message. You know, he said, hey, this may be the best team that, that we're playing. They are the only 10-win season that or 10-win uh, team, you know, that that uh, that we play and, you know, had 10 wins at the time that we played them. 
I got a big kick out of that because, you know, you have to play so far into the season for someone to even have an opportunity to amass 10 wins. And so just the way he said it, I kind of got a kick out of it. But, uh, you know, that's kind of Saban being Saban a little bit. But, um, you know, all we can play is who they put in front of us. And, you know, even even some of the lesser teams in the SEC are going to be competitive. And, uh, you know, Florida, you know, they put up a good uh, they put up a good fight, uh, especially, you know, first half, certainly into the third quarter. And then uh, then we were able to kind of pull it away. Why don't you take us to offense? What on offense jumps out at you? Um, I'm assuming it's going to be the freight train called Derrick Henry. You know, I'm going to start there because because he deserves that that he deserves those accolades. Um, you and I were hoping he would see 20, 25 carries. Uh, we were hoping that we would see, um, you know, somebody else get some, get some run. Um, I'm, I'm really surprised when the game was over and I saw the 44 carries, I was trying to go back and rack my head and, and, and try to see where they all came from. And, um, this was, this was like a repeat of, of the Auburn game. Um, at the end of the game there, uh, they put it on his shoulders and, um, you know, uh, you, you got to feed the beast, but I, I wish they wouldn't have fed him 44 times. And, and so real quick before you comment on that, do you think that was more about trying to get his fifth 200-yard game to uh, break Bo Jackson and Herschel Walker? Was this, was this record chasing at the end of the game to get his 44 carries, or what do you think that was about? No, definitely not record chasing. If we were chasing records – he would have gotten more carries against Charleston Southern. He, you know, we would have given him a 200-yard day against Charleston Southern if it was in our nature or in Coach Saban's nature to chase records like that. Um, and so I, I, I would just kind of dispel that out, out of the gates. Uh, I think that you know Saban said in his press conference that that uh, you know he told Henry he was done for the day uh, when Florida scored that that touchdown to make you know to, when it was a 21-point game. He said, you know, Derek, you're done. And then, you know, Florida scored, and then coach said, Derek, we need you. And so, I, you know, I don't I, – I, I trust coach in that he was not going to put him back in. And as much as coach likes Derek and as much as we all like him and as productive as he is, 90 carries, you know, in two, in two games is – man, that is insane. And you know, racking up over 400 yards in in two weeks—that's insane. I mean, we've had we've had—I mean, not superstar running backs, but we've had quality players that they've not had that many carries and that many yards on a season. I mean, you know, I know Drake's been injured, but how many carries and how many yards has he had on the season? And we know what a talent he is. I don't know that he's had that many opportunities this year. No, I'm with you. And, and I guess that begs the question that even with Florida scoring that, that touchdown, you know, on, you know, th- on a three-play drive to make it a 14-point game with eight minutes left, Florida had not shown the ability to do anything consistently whatsoever. Right. Um, they they when when they scored the punt return touchdown, I turned to my wife in the stands and I said, "That's just going to piss Saban off." And and I said, when I picked my final score for Florida, that they would score seven points, 
I said, I told David on the podcast that they wouldn't attempt a field goal because they're so bad at it. So they'd have to go for it on fourth down somewhere and get a touchdown. I didn't expect us to give up our first punt return touchdown since 2008. But when that happened, I said, okay, that's all the points they're going to get. So you probably felt similar to that. So if they score to make it a 14-point game with eight minutes left and we've dominated this opponent who had just broken over 100 yards of total offense, why do we need Henry again right there? Well, why, well, take the why, why do we have to have him? To take the air out of the ball. It's less about putting it's less about him putting more points on the board than it is him taking the air out of the ball. I think that's I, I, Yeah, but we got other guys on the team that can take air out of the ball. I mean, you know, I don't get me wrong, I love Saban, but that's where I gotta say that's bullshit. You know, not to you, but to Saban. Bo Scarborough and Damian Harris. Uh, and Kenyon Drake could have taken the air out of the ball. You could have given each one of them four carries each, 12 carries total, and and just iced him. Why why did he have to come back in the game? Well, you know, that's that, – that, I'm that, just getting your take. I just want to get your take on it because I, I don't think he had – from the point that he came in, he ended up rushing three times on that drive, and then he had one, two, three, four, five in a row on the next drive – so eight more carries. Those eight carries that he got, were those critical carries? Did, did Nobody else could have gotten those eight carries? Well, they're not critical until you put an inexperienced player in there who fumbles the ball or doesn't, you know, run, run the right uh, read or doesn't, you know, run the play correctly. And so, they're, you know, it's like Gene Stallings used to say about playing the lesser opponents, you know, it's not a big game until you lose one. And so are those carries important? Well, not until a freshman fumbles a ball. And so, you know, how, how do you, you know, how, how do you answer that question? Is, was it needed gun to your head? No, you could put another guy in there, but it, what's the best safest sound decision in the moment? It's to, it's to go with your lead, to go with your lead back. Well, I, th- I think I agree. But you and I thought we'd see Kenyon Drake down the field, right? Maybe trying to catch a couple passes. We didn't think they'd be stressing out his arm in traffic. And so he ended up with four carries on the game, right? And this is what we do on this podcast. So he ended up four carries on the game. And in the drive right before they scored their second touchdown, Kenyon Drake was in. He rushed over right guard for six yards. Then he rushed up the middle for no gain. The drive before he had had two other carries, so you 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 give Kenyon Drake four carries on the two previous drives, but you can't give the 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 other veterans some more play there at the end. I'm just I'm not splitting hairs. I'm saying to your point, ninety carries in two weeks is ridiculous. It might come back to cost you uh, at the end of the season, and I think saving those ten carries would have been a wise call. That's all. Well, I think I think you can also look at. We don't have a game next week, right? And so, you know, let's just get out of Atlanta and, you know, let's get them in the cold tub. You know, by the way, we need to, you know, pla- you know, pass the hat around and I'll throw in a few dollars so we can make a know, bigger tub. Donate, donate the, uh, you know, donate an ice tub in honor of Derrick Henry, you know, from the from the podcast team or something because, holy cow, just, just the amount of carries. But I do think there's something too. 
there not being a game this week. You can't have 90 carries in two weeks and then go, you know, and then expect to go out and play another game. At some point, that's not going to happen. And and the 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 tonic that I thought that we would attempt would be not taking the feature back out in the end of a you know two score game, but working some carries to other guys earlier in the game. And so let's get Damian Harris uh, some carries in the first and second quarter. Let's get Bo some carries or whoever the hot hand is, whoever the sort of the next guy is, uh, give them some carries in, you know, in, in the third. I, and I even thought to, to the point of, look, they have a stout defense and we want to wear them down with a, a, a big bruising running back then I thought Bo would be the guy. And so let's give, you know, like we used to do, right? Like like Saban, we, you know, used to do, you know, three possessions to one possession, three possession to one possession. And so let's rotate that in some form or fashion and, and put Bo in there, who we both agreed looks like and hits like and is physical like, Derek, such that you still get the same pounding and wearing down you're just doing it with with the different back, and that's how I thought we would save some carries. Let's save, you know, let's save three carries a quarter, and you know, then that forty four starts to look, you know, like a more reasonable thirty two. No, I'm with you, and he he finished the first half. He had he had nineteen carries in the first half for about sixty yards, and so he effectively only had about three yards a carry. Um, he got 25 of his 44 carries in the second half. And so um, in typical, you know, he gets better with age in these games. You know, he he ended up with 135 yards on his last uh, 25 carries. Yeah, so drastic, and, drastically different first half versus second half. Yeah, and that, and that mimicked what Florida State Dalvin Cook did against Florida the prior week. Didn't he have – 150 of his 100 and whatever his game was, didn't he have 150 of them in the second half? And so the whole the whole game plan was wear him out early, run all over him late. And so I, you know, my thinking was, if that really is the plan, then let's let's really be intentional about giving someone else carries early, so that you know our our lead dog can get you know, the carries, you know, our closer can come in and close, but let's let's give someone else some some runs earlier on. So I, I thought that would kind of be the model. You know, I thought the game was close to what, you know, you mentioned it was similar to the Auburn game. I mean, good gosh, they were almost like, you know, assembly line, you know, stamped out of the same, you know, mold, right? They were both, you know, sort of ugly games. The score was closer than, you know, all Alabama fans wanted it to be. But then when you go back and you look at the stats, you realize that game wasn't as close as it looked because, you know, we just blew their doors off on on defense. They couldn't – they could not do anything. And then you go back and, and look at the dominant performance by Henry, you know, second week in a row that he outgained himself, the opponent. Second week in a row that he, by himself, out-time of possession, the opponent. Second week in a row that Coker was – the second leading rusher, which I want to talk about that, and second week in a row that Coker had, you know, the kind of stat line that uh, that you and I want from an Alabama quarterback. I mean, he was 18 of 26 for 204, two touchdowns, and no, was yeah. generally pretty conservative with the ball. No, you're you're right there. Um, 
the biggest difference, I, I guess I was referring to Derrick Henry. It, it was like a duplicate performance. Yeah, yeah, young, yeah. Right. But, but I will say, you know, to give some kudos to Florida, um, because of the hand they're dealt, you know, this is not a starting SEC quarterback uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I, um, and we'll get to this when we get to, to defense in a second to talk about their quarterback, but the biggest difference for me in this game uh, versus the Auburn game was uh, key key potential turnovers early in the game. Yeah. And so, you know, if they had a Will Greer, David, this could have been a game where we're down by two touchdowns in the first half. And so to call a spade a spade, or at least tested the defense more, because sure. two plays I want to point out, which I think were huge, is number one, you know, our first drive with the ball, we've got a third and five from our 47-yard line, and, you know, uh, Jake Coker, you know, drops back to pass, and and when he does, um, Cam Robinson does a pathetic job of letting the guy on the – you're always taught at tackle to, to get the outside guy to your eye. He he leaves him completely. Uh, he goes in to get a linebacker. He 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 slants in to get a linebacker between him and Pierce Barker, and Pierce Barker is supposed to be his guy, and Pierce Barker's like, okay, well, you got him, and so I'm going to go help Ryan Kelly. And And literally, when that guy got a clear shot on Jake Coker – and and Jake Coker gets sacked and fumbled the ball. Yep. For him to show the athleticism that he did to keep Brian, uh, excuse me, to keep the uh, other defensive end uh, from recovering that fumble, Jaron, uh, not Jaron Reed, um, to keep um, to keep Bullard from recovering that fumble in that first you know possession of the game. That was huge. I mean, he recovered the ball at the thirty three. What if a Florida team with their starting quarterback that won six, you know, that won the first six games of the season? What if they had a turnover at our thirty-three to start the game? Yeah, that was a big play by Coker, and you know, I saw that we recovered the ball, and 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 it happened so quick. I went back, and I, you know, and and, and you were there in person, and I was I was watching it remote, and so you know, I clicked back and watched it, you know, because my first instinct was that happened so fast. Who recovered the ball? And I went back and. You know, because I thought, well, Coker was sacked. Who got back there and recovered the ball? And then, I, and then to to see him, you know, down on the ground, but then lurch out to get the ball. That was, you know, when you think of athleticism, that's not maybe the mental image that you have. But you know, what he did was a nice heads up athletic play, and um, you know, it certainly saved that possession. And I don't know that they would have done anything in their current. And this is what you're saying, right? With with their more talented quarterback, you know, they might have gotten something out of that. And, you know, even if they had just gotten that field position with what they had, you know, the fact that we were able to kind of punt it and, and uh, you know, they had, they, had, they had to earn some of those yards back. But, um, yeah, I mean, there were some opportunities where we could have struggled. You know, all games are going to be like that. But, you know, what do you make of Coker? Uh, he had quite a number of designed runs, and there were a couple of times and I think Danielson even called this out there were a couple times where it felt like Coker running the ball opened up the running lanes for Henry more than Coker's passing did 
No, I, I, I went back when I watched it on, uh, when I rewatched the replay and, and heard Gary say that, um, they, they did that. They did that, um, zone read that I don't like at all, um, with Jake Coker. And it was very effective, uh, a couple times when he would, uh, do a zone read action with Derrick Henry, or there was a couple times where he faked a pitch one way to Derrick Henry and rolled around the other end. Um, I, I, I thought that was a nice wrinkle. Um, I, I, like I said, I don't love the zone read option. The, the other option, the other, the other look was more of that naked bootleg that you and I've been asking for at the goal line. Yep. And so they would fake the pitch one way and, and he would go the other and, so he finished, you know, eight carries for 44 yards and, um, you know, looked good doing it. I mean, he's six foot five. He's got, he's got good football field speed. And, um, I would, I would be okay with him doing that four or five times a game. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, 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 and real quick, and real quick, and real quick, let me say yeah. that, let me real quick say that I would like to see it in a third and seven or third and eight situation sometimes because we have shown again in this ball game that we do not have the ability to protect Jake Coker when he is under center and he does a five-step drop. Right. So on the first two possessions of the game, Brian Cox Jr. is the one who sacked Jake Coker twice in the first two series. And the second one was on a third and 12. And, dude, our offensive line are run blockers, but pass protectors, that is not their strong point. Yeah, they definitely struggle in, in that regard. I, w- I want to go back to Coker just, just a little bit and, and you know, kind of in the same vein that, that you're talking about there. Um, I, you know, you use the word wrinkle, and I think that's appropriate, right? Because I don't want to be a zone read offense. I don't, that's, that's not what I want to do. Uh, but if it's something that you can work in, you know, we talk about use the play action, you run the ball so much, set up the pass with the play action. With zone read, you know, especially the way the you know, the way that we would run it is every, it's it's almost like a run play action, you know, because everyone's gonna collapse on on Henry and that's gonna create the running lane for Coker. And then if Coker is just a little bit effective, and, and he was if he's, you know, a little bit effective with that, then that might give the opportunity to slow down the pass rush when he does step back. And so, you know, there's a lot of sort of dynamics that that you can lever from if the quarterback does have some mobility. And so I like that as a wrinkle in the offense. I also wonder, you know, Saban, you know, we played McIlwain, who coached under Saban, and Saban, you know, went out of his way to 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 praise McIlwain, and we all, you know, enjoyed his tenure at Alabama. And you know, Saban called him an innovator and was creative with the offensive. And and so I wonder if there wasn't a little bit of, hey, what can we do to to kind of like, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. You know, we we can still be creative with you not here. Uh, and and I wonder if there wasn't a little bit of that um, underpinning some of those play actions or was it purely we've got to get someone to carry the ball that's not named Henry? <laughs> I think it was probably some of both. Um, you know, it was probably trying to catch Michael Wayne off guard a little bit because obviously he has a good knowledge of our offense. Um, the first two times, interestingly enough, he did those carries was in the second quarter 
Um, the first time was a second and seven. He rushed over right tackle for 17 yards. And the second time uh, on the very next drive was a second and seven, and he rushed for 10 yards. So on two of his carries, he got 27 yards. I mean, you know, I'd like to see him do that three or four times a game. I wouldn't even mind him. And 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 because I don't like the zone read and I love the toss sweep so much, I would love the fake the toss sweep to the left, roll him to his throwing hand. You know how we talked about he does better when he's when he's yep. rolling out, right? And he's out of that pocket that they can't protect. Fake the pitch to the left to the sweep, roll him to the right, and then let him have the option of run it for 10 yards or throw the ball. Give him the option to, if you see 10 yards, take it. If not, throw the ball. And I'd love him to do that three or four times a game. I think that would pick up an extra 80 yards of offense. You know, I think it's interesting that we we sort of let, put this wrinkle in, you know, for this game, for the reasons that we've talked about. And I think there's a, a little bit of a third reason that, you know, Everyone is going to have, and I say everyone, I'm thinking Michigan State and, you know, to maybe a lesser degree, Oklahoma and, and Clemson, right? They're going to start doing some prep work on Alabama. And some Derrick Henry work. What's that? It's going to be Derrick Henry work to start with. Well, yes. it, I mean, yeah, of course it is, right? But, but you know, they're going to they're gonna break down everything. And so now here's – well, here's a something new else to think Here's about. something, yeah. right? And then what you what, – you know, kind of what you're layering in is well, what can we do to build on this wrinkle? And I think that's that's a pretty compelling discussion, right? What what could we sort of add on to some of the capability that that we just demonstrated? And I don't know that kind of that kind of be fun to see. No, absolutely. Offense uh, jumped out at at you. Well, I want to go back to the turnover, the potential turnover thing again. One more second, just to. To, sure. to reemphasize this for a second, in our first, uh, in our first three, uh, in our first four possessions, David, we had potentially, we ended up having one turnover with Derrick Henry fumbling the ball. Um, but on the, our out of our first four possessions, we had the chance to have three turnovers, and and they talked about how Florida was leading the the. SEC, I don't know about the country as far as turnovers, right, with like a 25 margin. Mm -hmm. Well, that sack of Jake Coker came on the first series at our 33. The very next series at our 38-yard line, I want to talk about Jacob Coker throwing it to the left sideline, and he kind of floats a ball out there that Hargraves jumps in front of. Yep. And Calvin Ridley – uh, freshman, you're impressing me more by the minute. You have the wherewithal to quickly become a DB as you were taught when you were a little kid and you knocked the ball out of his hands. And David, that ball was at the 38-yard line of Alabama. And so I can't stress enough that they could have had on two of our, on our first two possessions of the game, they could have had a turnover at our 33-yard line and a turnover at our 38-yard line. Then the very next uh, possession, we go three and out. And then the very next one, Derrick Henry fumbles the ball. So, I mean, I mean, so I guess what I'm saying is, is, that, is that the adversity that 
the adversity that we were able to overcome because they had an impaired offense, you know, we were very for, I guess I'm saying we were very fortunate to have such a kick butt defense right now against an offense that is handicapped because we could have had three turnovers in the first quarter. And that would have been huge. No, I agree with you. And, and, and you're spot on, right? Because those are events that didn't happen. And so they kind of become lost, lost, you know, in, in the discussion, kind of lost to history. But, you know, Calvin Ridley's play, I mean, that's worthy of pointing out because that was that was a sure interception. And you could almost just see, you know, Hargraves' kind of reaction of like, well, where did that hand come from, you know, to knock that ball loose? Because because he had it, right? And and I think he's one of their team leaders in interceptions. And so, you know, he knows what it feels like to, to possess the ball on defense. And, and uh, you know, that ball was certainly batted, batted away. Uh, Coker very easily could have. We've seen, you know, we've seen balls on the ground and our, and our players not know where the ball was, right? And so, uh, and the other team kind of picks it up. And so, and then, you know, the other one, actually, we did lose the ball. And so, you know, there's, that's three times we could have lost the ball. And, you know, potentially a very different game, you know, had that had that played out. And so definitely some heads up play there by by Ridley and Coker and a heads up in, in a way that would never, never see a stat book. No, and it would never be talked about on any articles we look at. Right. Right. And so this is this is kind of what we do. And I also want to quickly mention, you know how it used to make you cringe when Julio Jones did that end around? Yes. Well, Calvin Ridley has gotten now to the status level where you should start cringing where they run that stupid play. Oh, don't think Calvin I don't. Ridley. Don't think I don't. And 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 look, this and, and I've explained this. Before. Does he have to get does he have to get to 150 catches on the season before they realize that one player is too valuable and just have somebody else do it? See, that will work against <laughs> it. If if he's considered that valuable to get that many, you know, so that sort of dynamic that he gets that many carries, then he'll get proportionally that many more end arounds. So I, hear, I just don't I understand why this is in Lane Kiffin's offense. Why is this even there? No, it, I mean, I wouldn't even say that's Lane Kiffin, right? Because, you know, we're talking Julio Jones. Yeah. This was, no, that's this, true. But why, this, this why is back, that there? This is in Saban's DNA. Saban likes this play. Why does he like this play? I mean, Calvin yeah. Ridley, the first time he rushes for no game. Here's the other thing I don't understand. SEC defenses are what? They are fast, right? We're not playing Purdue. We're not playing Purdue's defense. And so what I don't get is every time we try to stretch the field on these plays, we get nowhere because we're letting these guys run sideline to sideline. The that, first time Calvin Ridley does it, he gets zero yards. The next time he gets two yards. Congratulations. Your star, your your guy with 60 catches on the year got two yards on two carries and could have got his knee buckled either one of those two times. It makes no sense. I want to be very careful though, because there's two different there's that's two different things. I 100% agree that we need to spread the field vertically and horizontally, and we need to alert the defense that you guys are going to have to defend the full lot. That we're not going to we're not going to cut off the edges, we're not going to narrow the field, we're not going to shorten the field. You guys have to be prepared to defend it all, and an end around does that. Uh, some of the wide receiver screens that we run, they do that. And so do so, do sometimes they gain big yards? Yes, sometimes they do. Do they always send the message that you have to defend the full field? They always do that. And so that I'm okay with. And I'm even okay 
with if we're going to run the jet sweep with a Kenyon who is a running back. And so he's used to sort of running the ball and getting hit. I'm okay with that. I'm even okay with a sturdy and stockier uh, uh, wide receiver. And so when we had Chris John Jones, I was okay with him doing that. Uh, to a lesser degree, uh, uh, DeAndre White, I was okay with, with him doing that. If you think of an Ardarius, he's a pretty thickly built receiver. I'm okay with him doing that. Uh, he looks actually very, very good when he does it. It's it's the star name brand franchise, franchise wide receiver. That's 185 pounds. Right. And so when it's Julio, and I know he's a big guy, but man, I I don't, you know, and and it's Amari, and then now it's the kind of the smallest of the bunch. And I'll tell you, and and I will go to my grave hoping that this doesn't that this doesn't happen. But you ask, what is it going to take? <laughs> man, do I dare say it out loud? What it's going to take to have someone scratch their head? Why are we running our franchise receiver on an end around? I mean, it's going to take somebody getting hurt. Well, you will find interesting that on his um, on his two carries that he got on that play, he got them both in the first four series, and that was it. And so with literally 13 minutes left in the second quarter, he got his second end around, and then they didn't run that play to him the rest of the game. So I just had to mention that because, you know, that's a pet peeve for me like your kickoffs. Um, want to quickly mention two other things. Um, the, uh, the play where he beats the double coverage, uh, on the 55 yard reception, um, you know, just call a spade a spade. You know, I went back and, and counted the yardage, you know, Jake Coker aired it out 60 yards. He's got a nice arm. Um, he's got to throw it quicker. Uh, you saw Gary, you, you probably saw, you know, Gary Danielson say the same thing. What was interesting on that is Hargraves to be clear is a projected first-round NFL cornerback next year. He's not just an NFL projected player. He is a first-round top 30 pick guy at this point. And Calvin Ridley, on a couple times, on a couple of his catches, Hargraves was giving the boy 10 yards out of respect. He was running a couple – you know how a couple weeks ago he ran the sideline route and you said, why don't we run this all the time? Right. He had a couple catches against Hargraves in this game where it looked that easy. And I'm like, you're a 185-pound freshman who hasn't been in the weight room long yet, and you're making an NFL projected first-round person look bad. I mean, look bad. Hargraves did not look comfortable giving him press coverage. And so on that that 55-yard play, he sits there thinking he's going to have safety help um, and Ridley just runs right by the safety, and had Jake Coker thrown that ball quicker, he would have just walked in the end zone. Yeah, if you put some, if you put the cutups together of of his play, um, you know, we talked about slapping the ball away. You talked about the catch. You talked about you know other other catches, um, you know, and you're going against a an NFL talent. Let's just call it that, right? Then. <laughs> that that has to make Ridley, you know, there's an opportunity to make uh, Ridley feel very very good. Oh yeah, I mean just 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 the just the concentration for yet again for him to beat double coverage on a long pass 
Um, I just had to point it out. And, you know, this kid is not just, a, I mean, he's not playing just like even a sophomore, right? right? He's not even playing like a freshman at the end of the season. Um, you know, the rich get richer. You know, we get Derrick Henry. He's rushed for more yards in high school than anybody else. And then you get this kid. I mean, my goodness. I mean, that's hey, you know just, what the You know what the cherry on top is with Calvin Ridley? On the first play of the game, and, and there's sort of too deep I want to go here. Oh, I'm glad you're bringing this up. Go ahead. On the first play of the game, and we talked about it. You know, is Kenyon going to play? What's he going to do? Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it? Be, we thought, you know, let's line up and let him go down the field like he did against Florida last year, scored a touchdown on the first play from scrimmage. Wouldn't it be sort of Kiffin, sort of gigging him if we did something with Kenyon first play of the game? And so, what do we do first play of the game? We run Kenyon Drake, and I got a, I just got a big kick out of that. But on that play, Kenyon comes in motion. And the man that's coming across on defense, the defender that's coming across with Kenyon, Calvin Ridley cleans him up on on a block. And so you think about all of this talent that he has, he is doing the little things to the extent that you consider blocking a little thing, and prima domina wide receivers do. Man, that was just fantastic. And I love that, that, you know, a wide receiver – you know, there's a want-to block for a wide receiver and there's a have-to block for a wide receiver. And so a wide receiver says, well, I have to block somebody, so I'm just going to block somebody. And there's a want-to that says, I want to do this right and I want to do it well. And so Ridley had a man on him. And so we've seen wide receivers block because they just have to and they block the wrong guy. And so it would be very easy for Ridley to just say, well, I'm just going to block the guy that's just on me. And he didn't worry about the guy that was on him because as he collapses to the inside, that guy goes guy with, with him. him. Yes. And his momentum is going in that direction. What he does is he is he picks off the guy that's coming across the field with Kenyon. So his momentum is going with Kenyon. He's going to be the one that's going to catch Drake, not the other guy. And that's a football and he knows awareness. That's who his guy is. Yes. And he decletes him. It was beautiful. I went back and watched it like six times. Well, what's what's key about that is that's the that's the football brain, right? He knows that the guy who's running with him against Kenyon Drake is going to have to to backtrack. Yep. He knows he's not the guy going to make the tackle. And you, and so you in saw essence, that guy. You saw that guy when yeah. when Ridley blocked. You saw that guy like, oh no, I've got to get back out to the outside. And you could see him like, oh, like shift his his body weight. You could almost yes. just you could just see it. And it's like you're beat. Yes. We have to like, uh oh, you're beat because Kenyon's that fast, right? And so we gained nine yards on that play. And well, it's like, and man, blocked, that is good design. That is good execution. No, and he blocked two guys in you know in effect, right? On, on that you know by doing it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to also mention very quickly that um that I was happy to see um that we kind of did some more straight ahead running. Um, on, on Derek's Henry's touchdown early in the game, um, we didn't try to, to pull Alphonse Taylor. We just let him, uh, we just let him block straight ahead and Dominic Jackson block straight ahead. And Alphonse Taylor took his guy and just, just literally turned him toward Ryan Kelly and Dominic Jackson, you know, did the exact opposite. They made a huge hole for Derek Henry to run in for his touchdown. Um, 
it seems like in this game, the only guy that was pulling for us was Pierce Bocker. Yep. And I think he's the only guy that should be doing that. And so I just wanted to mention that very quickly. Um, I, I, I like to see, you know, these other four guys, let's face it, they are straight ahead blockers. And that's what they're good at. And so to, to Saban's credit, he's blessed with a running back who he's maximizing what he's got. Sure. He's got an offensive line that is better with the run, and he's blessed to have a Derrick Henry. What did you make of, uh, at one point, Cam uh, Robinson got a little dinged. Looked like he was going to be out longer than than he actually was. I was I was kind of nervous about that. But uh, what did you make of, uh, you know, and we said that this would not happen, uh, but what do you make of Corin Curvin coming right in at the left tackle spot? Yeah, I saw that. I didn't like that. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, um, I don't understand why, you know, we're, we're not at practice. We don't see what he's doing in practice. Um, but this is a converted defensive lineman. And I would have rather seen, I mean, you've got Brandon Green coming in to play tight end and an extra tackle on goal line plays and other plays, you know, why not Brandon Green or why not you slide, you know, Dominic Jackson over there and you bring in, you know, another line. Corin Carvin wouldn't have been my guy and it surprised me. I'll say it that way. Yeah, and so it, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, right? It This is – you know, look, we don't go to practices. We don't. We're not able to keep up it with it at that level. But by golly, we keep up with it. Is is you know just about as well as anybody else. And so it's one of those things where you kind of like to know what's going to happen, and you don't like to. I don't like to take a whole lot of that on faith. And so is Corn Curvin the left tackle? Yeah, I've heard Coach say that. I haven't seen it. So I don't necessarily believe it, and here's what I really think would happen, and uh, and and so when Cur- Curvin comes in in that situation, and at that moment in time, you don't know what the case with Cam Robinson is, and so you're kind of taking it on faith, or you have to take it on faith that well, I guess Curvin is the guy, and and so oh, I you know I would have almost felt better, and and so how crazy does this sound, right? I would have almost felt better if Pierce Barker moved out and then Bradley Bozeman came in. And so now we've moved two guys on the line to accommodate for one. At least intellectually, I get that because I haven't seen the math on Curvin yet, right? Yeah, I've I seen the math on the other guys. I haven't seen the math on Curvin, and so that's where I start to get nervous. Yeah, and I guess I need to correct myself. I'm not, I shouldn't say he was, he was not the guy I would have picked because I'm not at practice. And so what I should say – is kudos to Corin Curvin, who has converted from defense and has earned the respect of Coach Saban to come in at left tackle that quickly when a guy goes down. That's what I should say because um, God bless you because I, I didn't think you would be the I didn't think you'd be the guy to come in there, but you have obviously shown in practice that you're the guy. Yeah, and and you know what was it was it the I guess it was a Charleston Southern game where he started for Dom, and so and and when the uh, when the seconds came in, he moved over to left tackle, and so you just kind of wonder like 
man, was that not, was that just really good fortune that, that he got to do that and play in that, not only just play left tackle when the seconds came in, but just play the whole game. Got so those reps that, under him. So he was yeah, comfortable to come quite in a number of, yeah. of reps. And so, you know, and so what happened, right? I mean, coming out of halftime and, and I drove my wife crazy. She said, you, she said, you got to stop pacing. Cause I, cause I, I said, you know, this game is playing out how I thought it would close, but I still have to live through it being close. And I've seen us turn it over. I've seen us almost turn it over. Uh, you know, they've gotten, you know, the big, the big uh, punt return. They led most of the most of the second quarter, and you think, look, this is how games like this can slip away. I don't think it will, but it can. And so, one one thing that can could contribute to their defense playing better is us not having our left tackle. And so, you know, your mind just starts to race through all those kinds of scenarios. And you know, my wife stops me before I, you know, wear a, a rut in the carpet, but. Um, you know, the whole halftime, I'm thinking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so let me ask the question. And so Cam came back, and we all know how the game ended. Do you think if – would we have come out of half with Corin as the starting left? See, it's tough to say because we ha- we're not at practice, right? Yeah. We, don't know, we don't know what he's doing because for him to get the nod – instead of Brandon Green, who is listed behind Dominic Jackson for that whole other game, tells has to tell you, okay, <laughs> you're going to enjoy this. It's kind of like what you've said on defense, right? We've got a we've got our rabbit rusher, right? We've got 21 starters on defense and you all have a different role. Well, maybe Brandon Green's role is you're the swing tackle, on short yardage plays, and Corin Curvel, Corin Curvin, you're going to be the swing tackle if we have to have somebody come in to play all the plays. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Because Brandon Green is has gotten a lot of run in a lot of short yard situations. Yeah. Right. right. We don't. We, we don't. We don't see Corin Curvin at the goal line on second and goal at the one yard line. Yep. We see Brandon Green. Yep. And so have have we come up with a specialized swing tackle at the University of Alabama? <laughs> no, or, or are you and I going too deep on this? <laughs> Probably so. Um, one more thing very quickly on Derrick Henry's fumble. Um, I just want to mention that, you know, he was trying to give effort there. I don't want the listeners to think, oh, he got stuck and he fumbled the ball. No. He took a shot from their best middle linebacker. Mm-hmm. And – literally was trying to shrug him off of him and and move around him to get a few more yards and the ball dropped out. Yeah, and, and that, so was very, that was a very that was a very physical and mobile making plays yeah. all over the field linebacker. He was he was quite a talented uh, but I'm just but I but I'm saying that that he he literally was trying to just take that big dude and throw him off of him and the ball drops out. Yep. Very, very frustrating. Very frustrating. Um, anything else on offense before we do game balls? Let's do game ball. All right, you first. I, uh, you know, many game balls I'm given, uh, you know, I, w- I want to go two directions and I want to make sure they both get covered. So I was hoping you'd go first. I'm just going to trust that you're going to, you're going to cover the backside. I, I'm going Ardarius with my mini game ball. Uh, I know he had four carries for 64. He had one very big play 
uh, very athletic play in in the end zone. That's the type of athlete he is, and I think that you know he he just continues to get better and better. I think I, I think I gave him my mini game ball last week as well. Last year he was one of my you know he sort of emerged as one of my favorite players, and and um, he got injured uh, later in the season. I think that he has the opportunity to be a weapon uh, here in, in the playoffs, and so uh, I, I'm I'm tipping my cap to our Darius, and I hope you've got my uh, my other. Um. Well, I'll 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 do the one I want to do, and then I'll do the one that you want me to do. <laughs> um. So 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 my first mini game ball um, in breaking the tradition of mini game ball is uh, when I watched the replay at home and found out how many catches Calvin Ridley had on the year, I was like, well, damn, I can't give it to him. He's not many anymore. He's graduated. But I don't care. I'm giving it to him anyway. For all the reasons we talked about earlier, yep. this guy's not playing like a freaking freshman. He's not playing like six foot, 185 pounds. And he's doing all of the little things. And I can't imagine where this team would be without him. I'm not going to say he's as valuable as Derrick Henry, but what I will say is currently Jake Coker, when he attempts 18 or he completes 18 of 26 passes, he's got to have somewhere to go. And um, Ridley, you know, if we went back and looked at how many explosive plays in the passing game has gone to Ridley versus every other receiver on the team, um, I guess I'm saying if Ridley wasn't there right this second, then would teams be stacking the box and shutting down Henry? And so I don't think this team would be having the success they're having without a Ridley backing up a Derrick Henry. You know, I, I'll tell you what's what's interesting on on the Ridley, and it's and it's hard to sort of know this, but here's here's my thought on this, right? You know, he came in and got a lot more playing time when Robert Foster got hurt. And Robert Foster getting hurt was a big loss. And But I think Calvin Ridley's upside is more than Robert Foster. And so if Foster going out when he did and Chris Black was was hurt and Cam Sims is, is, is hurt and, you know, he hasn't been able to con- contribute. And so you start to think, man, this wide receiver core is getting thin pretty quickly. And if Calvin had come in and played like a freshman instead of playing like an emerging star, then you have to wonder, would this team be where it is today? And, and the answer, I think, invariably is no, because uh, he brings that much to the table. And 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 I wonder, and man, I, I so look forward to Robert Foster coming back, and he was so emerging as a player that I'm afraid that if I say this out loud, It'll, it'll be taken wrong, but I wonder if he had not gotten hurt, if he would have provided the same level of upside that we've seen from Calvin. And I just don't know that he would have. He's a very good receiver. I don't know that he's that good. I I, I agree with you. He's he is he he is um. I I think if Robert Foster had not gotten hurt. Our Darius Stewart is sitting on the year with 54 catches for 600 yards. If our if 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 Robert Foster had not gotten hurt, then maybe he's got 65 catches, right? But but I, I guess what's key here, and and you and I've talked about this in the past, right? With with how many um how many uh, receptions these receivers have, and we'd have to go back and listen to our preseason show about. You know, Amari Cooper is not here to catch all his balls and what's going to happen, and we made predictions. 
but I'm sitting here year to date, David. Calvin Ridley's got 75 catches for 893 yards. 75 catches, okay? And they're saying, yes, he played 13 games, which you and I both know he didn't get run early. Right. So he's got 75 catches. Our Darius Stewart is second with 54, and Mullaney's at 34, okay? So as Mullaney got his touchdown in this game, which we want to mention very quickly, we talked about O.J. Howard, and it was time for O.J. Howard to break out, and we talked about Kenyon Drake and what a weapon he is, and it's a shame he got hurt last year and what he could have done. Well, right now, Ridley at 75, Stewart at 54, Mulaney at 34, Howard at 30, and Kenyon Drake at 24. It's not fair. You know, obviously, Kenyon Drake got hurt. I understand. But where would this team be right now without Mulaney and Ridley? Yeah. This team would be an eight guys on the in the box on defense, and Derrick Henry, you're not going to beat us. This <laughs> – you get you get where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, this, I mean, this team oh would be my gosh. This this team would be a and look, I think Coker's a better quarterback than 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 what is it, Brendan Harris, but I I we would be more like an LSU team where we would be predictably one-dimensional. Now we're one-dimensional, but we have just enough shade the other way that you know that you have to watch it. LSU does not have that, you know, I don't think. And so we would be we would look much more like, you know, because your quarterback's going to look better when your receivers are better, right? And so without those guys, um, you know, maybe Coker doesn't look as good as he does. And, no, I'm uh, no, no, yeah, no, I, you know, we're not we're not in the game Saturday. Like physically, we Alabama does not play in Atlanta last last Saturday without those guys. No, absolutely, and and just real quick, and I know we're spending a lot of time on offense. I just looked this up because I was curious. So he had ten starts out of thirteen games. He finished with seventy-five catches, starting only ten games. Okay, um, four. Excuse me, five of his six touchdowns came on plays of thirty yards or more for a freshman. Yeah. So just just awesome. Um, yeah. So my other game ball that I thought you were going to do was Kenyon Drake because uh, I know you love some Kenyon Drake, and uh, so I hope this is where you were going with this. I just thoroughly uh, love the grit and tenacity of, of this kid coming back and um, and contributing in this game so quickly. Um, and kudos to the medical staff for for addressing this and having the surgery done and putting it in an air cast the minute he came out of the, you know, secret hideout and just everything they did. But, wow, pretty quickly and and uh, look forward to seeing what he can do with four more weeks of rest. Yeah, absolutely. Hats off. I was going to go offensive line, and so, I mean, hell, everybody gets a mini game ball. <laughs> <laughs> Let's flip field the defense. Um, look, I you know, I, I, I'm going to put this out here. So, you know, we allowed seven first downs on the game, 15 net rushing yards on the game, only 180 total yards on the game. Florida had zero conversions, third or fourth down on the game. I counted th- I counted eight three and outs. Florida had zero net yards in the entirety of the second and third quarter. And I saw a majestic stat that said 60 
you know, maybe it was 62% of Florida snaps resulted in zero yards. Tommy, is there anything else we need to talk about on defense? Yes, there is, man. But that was <laughs> that was that was pretty freaking awesome. And and I wish we could have held them under a hundred yards for the game. Because as as you were mentioning all those great stats, um, on their 180 yards, they they essentially got 81 yards on the touchdown drive, and then they got a little garbage, another 30 on the next one. So gosh, David, they got 110 yards on their last two possessions to to get to 180. So we were sitting here with what is this? We were sitting here with uh Let's see, 15, 14. Yeah, we're sitting here with about eight minutes left in the game, and they had 80 yards total offense. Yeah, you know, well, when you take literally two full quarters out of the game, um, and then and then you consider that, you know, their time of possession was only just 16 and a half minutes, you start to run out of, of opportunities to get the 180 yards. And so it's not surprising that they got some of them in bunches because – Otherwise, which is, I guess, your point, you know, otherwise you don't get them, <laughs> you know. I mean, there's only a handful of plays, like two or three or four plays, that if you unplug those, their their yardage total, I mean, not that 180 is good, but because it's not, but, I mean, man, you take the air out of 180 yards with without having to change more than just a handful of plays. No, absolutely, and and I'm going to mention this quickly because because we try to cover everything, and and I, I don't want to be critical when I say this, but early in the game when they got their their first big play on on that long pass, I, I was really confused by by how we were set up there because it it looked like we were in a zone coverage uh, because Cyrus Jones they they flood the right side of of the of the defense right. And so the the left receiver on Cyrus Jones collapses to the right or to the to the middle hash, and Cyrus Jones has nothing to do. I mean, he's out of the play, and so you can tell he's not in man man, man coverage. And they flood that side, and Geno and Humphrey, there had to be a miscommunication um, on that you know forty six yard pass from Florida's ten yard line. Um, I don't know if it was I don't know if it was Humphrey or if it was Geno. Um, but one of them misread it and, uh, Humphrey released him to Gino and Gino didn't have him and, and, you know, just wanted to mention that real quick. That yeah. was, that was just a busted assignment somewhere. Um, I also want to mention, uh, Ashawn Robinson. Um, obviously you saw better at home on the, on the TV screen and, and me with the replay, you know, um, he, he got banged up on another you know he got banged up on the play that was like my favorite defensive play of the season and that's when him and Jonathan Allen and Jaron Reed shared a sack yeah I mean that that might be my favorite play of the season so far because I went back at home and watched it two or three times and saw them all whip their man man on man because Florida wasn't smart enough to double-team any one of them, and they all three got to the quarterback at the same time. And you yeah. saw it at home, and you heard the announcer talk about it, but but obviously his arm got caught under him, and Jonathan Allen landed his big butt on him. Um, but kudos to him to jump back right up and get back in the game so quickly, and uh, glad that he's okay. But, man, that that – 
that goes up there with one of my favorite plays of the season. Yeah, that sack was like a buddy movie, right? Because, you know, the three, like, hero defensive linemen, you know, kind of the top flight guys, right? They're all going to be first-round draft picks. They're all going to, you know, stars across the defensive front. In the championship game, right, they all go in and make a sack together. Um, yeah, I, you know, there's a lot sort of converging on that uh, on that quarterback on that play. No, that was that was awesome, man. Um, I also want to mention on another uh, play um, where uh, another play by by Tim Williams. Um, I you know I thought he jumped off sides when he got that sack when he when he whipped the yeah. right tackle so quickly. I'm glad you brought that up. I had to go back and watch it at home like five times, and. I, I think he just timed it perfectly. I mean, I tried to be critical. I tried to be a Florida fan. I tried to see that he jumped, and I can't see it. It's kind of like one of those calls where, you know, it's it, you can't overturn the call, I guess is what I'm saying. I couldn't overturn the call. Man, I am so glad you brought that up because when you saw it with the naked eye, you thought he had to have been offsides. And I did the same thing. I rewound it, I rewound it, I rewound it. And I said, oh, you know when he got that sack? He got that sack on Tuesday. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> because yes. I went back and I started watching, and, you know, for like the next quarter, I watched their center very, very closely. And so they play out of the shotgun. And so the center, you know, he's, he's, he's got the ball, and he's looking between his legs at the quarterback. And, you know, nine out of ten times – when he pulls his head up, he snaps the ball. And it's almost like it's almost like it's a connected motion. I tilt my head up and snap the ball. And so I watched there was even one time where he tilted his head up, but then he leaned a little bit like he was making a line call. And then he stuck his head back between his legs to look back at the quarterback and then did the same thing. And Tim Williams went on the motion of the head coming up. And when the head came up, he went. And he went just as the ball was being snapped. And so he went and he moved faster than the tackle, but you know, because his line of view and what he was keying off of, he could see and the tackle couldn't. And so the tackle is going off motion, you know, the that was the the right tackle. And so, he, so he's going off motion to his left, but he's looking at Tim Williams. And so he almost has to feel that motion, and he knows the snap count, but he almost has to feel that motion before he goes, whereas Tim is looking in at the ball, and more importantly, he's looking at the center's head. And when the center's head came up, boom, he was gone. And uh, I thought, man, that is fantastic right there. No, that was that was awesome, man. And and this is the kid Thurman, uh, who who is a uh, one of the one of their couple seniors on their offensive line. He's the guy that that I found out in the Florida State game, and I don't know when it was, but they lost their center for the year, and, and Thurman had to get moved over to center. And so all of what you just said makes total sense, right? You're new to the position, right? You it's kind of like a soccer player. A soccer player has to look at their feet when they're kicking the soccer ball. They're not comfortable looking up. Well, he probably has to look down under his legs at the quarterback, right? He's he's found a way that works for him to be able to snap that stupid shotgun, right? Because it's not as easy as being, you know, the quarterback being under your legs. And so I don't know. It's been like two or three or four weeks since they lost their center. Um, but he had to step in and, and play that position. 
And so kudos to the coaching staff for, for picking that up in the film room. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm as soon as you started talking about it, I, I I'm glad that you did. Cause I knew that I wanted to, to touch upon that as well. Um, you know, I liked, we, we've talked about Marlon Humphrey and we've talked about looking back for the ball and, uh, and we've kind of talked about, you know, front shoulder, back shoulder kind of thing. I like the fact that, you know, he got under the receiver, looked back, caught the ball and, um, made a tremendous play and I really like what Marlon's doing. I think his upside is exciting, but you know what the big, the biggest thing that I enjoyed about his interception. And, you know, if you didn't, if, if you haven't seen it on, you know, kind of gone back and watch it on, on the film, then you might not have noticed, but as soon as he turned, saw the ball and jumped up for it, if you looked in the background behind, you know, the receivers behind him and then the sideline is behind him and sort of the angle of the sideline, you get like a few players kind of right there and behind those guys. So like, I don't know, 12 yards away, you see when Marlin's jumping and he's got his hands up to catch the ball in the background, you see, um, uh, uh, the name escapes me. Um, Alec, Alec, Alec Morris, you see Alec Morris jumping up and like celebrating. And I'm like, man, that dude is, is as in tune with the game and what's going on than anybody else. Cause you know, he knew that Marlon had undercut the route was jumping and like, literally you could see the timing of his jump with Marlon was spot on. And then he was cheering while Marlon was catching. And then and he kind of st- – I just got the biggest kick out of that. And I know I've written about this, and I know I've talked about this. That Alec, man, he's going to be a coach someday. And uh, when when he did that, I just got the biggest kick out of that. I said, that dude is freaking paying attention. No, that is no, that is awesome, man. That just talks about talks about his football knowledge. Yep. Um, well, well, going back to that sack by, by Tim Williams, that came on the very next play after that combo sack. And and that's when I kind of knew this was our day, okay? Because Derrick Henry had fumbled the ball. Um, they recovered at the 28-yard line. They get a pass for 15 yards to the 43-yard line. And like, okay, where are we going here? And then two plays in a row, we get those sacks where the quarterback is just demolished. And um, – I was like, and and so the next thing you know, it went from first and ten, Florida at the forty-three, to fourth and thirty at their twenty-three. Yep. And I was like, wow, that that's awesome. Hey, one other quick thing I want to mention is on uh, later in the game, uh, Tim Williams was in on third down, and and he seems to be getting more run. They they seem to be going with a package. They're mixing it up a little bit on third down. But the package they like the most is Tim Williams and Jonathan Allen and uh, Ashawn Robinson when they do a three-man front. And it, it seems like early in the game they were running more three three-man fronts, and and Tim Williams was the was the rusher on the left end. Well, there was one play, David, um, where he goes to to run, he goes to blitz the, to to uh, rush the quarterback, and he gets knocked down by the running back. He jumps yes. up, and he then proceeds to get held by the tight end and the running back. 
and the referee does not call it. One is grabbing one shoulder blade. One is grabbing from the other side the shoulder blade. And he's like the crazy guy in the straight jacket, right, who they're holding back, and he's like, you know, just taking them both forward. And he was his little motor was going after that quarterback, and he was being held in the backfield by two guys, and he still almost got to the quarterback, and he got a quarterback hurry, incomplete pass, and the ref didn't call the penalty. But when I saw that play, it jumped out at me like this play you just mentioned to say, kid, you have finally gotten there, buddy. You are showing the effort, and you are being rewarded for it. 100% agree. And and here's where, and we talked about this last week, right, where we, we switched to a dime, and, you know, because we could stop the run with, with five down linemen. And, and this is a measure of how talented this team is, this defense – how deep it is and how versatile it is versatile it is right and so you can stop the run with with five guys sort of in the box and you know and that's that's outnumbered they're outnumbered uh you know at the point of attack but they can still stop the run and you put a dime on top of it and you think you know I don't know how you beat a defense that that can do that and then and then another sort of wrinkle another dynamic to that is you know we're going to go with Tim Williams as sort of a walk-up linebacker, sort of hybrid defensive end position, we're going to stick in a nickel, and we can afford all all things being equal, right? We can afford to just say sick them. You have no yes. other responsibility but get the guy, get the quarterback. And 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 he's he seems to have flourished in that in that role. Yeah, and and, and take nothing away from Denzel Duvall. Denzel Duvall has taken you know he he he's playing he's played well as also but you know that Gary Danielson kidded that that McElwain called Alabama's front 30 he said yeah. we're playing the front 30 today and he was talking about all the guys they run out there well on that one play Tim Williams does that you know incomplete pass the very next play Ryan Anderson comes in and blows up the right tackle and sacks the quarterback and I sat there watching the replay, seeing two backup defensive linemen whip the starting right tackle man-on-man man with a different pass-rushing move and get to the quarterback. And I yeah. said, when's the last time Alabama has been able to run two backup players in the game with no drop-off yeah. and then both go kill the quarterback? And I said, I don't remember that. No. I know we've talked about the depth, but I just saw it two plays in a row. You bring out Denzel Duvall, you bring in Tim Williams. Then you bring out Tim Williams, you bring in Ryan Anderson. And there's no drop-off from those three players at the pseudo-jack linebacker position. Yep. I mean, that is just awesome. Let, let me ask you this question. And I'm not seeing this question, you know, sort of postulated anywhere. I've seen everyone talking about Tim Williams and his increasing role, but – you know, what if you were to sort of project out his numbers if if he played kind of – and I don't think it's a full one-for-one, one, but I kind of get where people are going when they say that. And so the the question I have for you, it's it's not should he, because should he's the answer is no. Do you think he goes pro? No. You don't? I don't. Okay. And I, and, and I, don't, I don't think he – okay, I don't think he should. Should he? No. That, that's – I take that off the table. He should not. He should not. Um, 
I think at another school he does um, because he doesn't – because Saban's process is going to show him that he will not be a first or second round guy because of Saban's connections. And um, and I think he stays. Yeah. But now, but now I say that to you with the understanding that there has been other juniors who have gone pro who are sitting on a practice squad at an NFL team right now, still making, you know, practice squad money that haven't contributed as much as he has. And they were juniors. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, you, you bring up an interesting point when they, when they were, when they were showing the starting lineups, um, when I was watching the replay and I was counting all the players that, that we could potentially lose, dude, it was, it was, I, I was getting nine guys in the starting 11 that could be gone. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, nine guys out of 11. That's a whole nother show, but still. So, so yes, I, I hope, t- I hope Tim doesn't add to that and, and make it 10. You know, here, here, here's, here's what I think. And, and we probably should do a show over that because I think that'd be an interesting conversation. But, uh, you know, I think that, um, uh, uh Reg- Reggie Ragland and Jaron Reed, uh, two guys that, that absolutely could have gone last year. And they said, you know, we want to come back. Uh, they should sit down with Reuben Foster and Tim Williams and say, fellas, uh, you know, even if we win the national title and you can ride out on the white horse, um, it, it's worth your while to come back and play your senior year under this program, under this coach, and, uh, and the amount of sort of elevation that, that you would get, you know, relative to your draft status uh, is, you know, kind of makes the decision for you. You've got to come back. And, and hopefully, hopefully they kind of have that conversation because, you know, there's enough guys that I know that we have to replace. I don't want to think about guys that we don't, you know, quote, unquote, have to replace. You know, the seniors, right? There's enough seniors on the team and there's enough first-round juniors that, you know, I don't want a third-round junior leaving when they shouldn't. No, absolutely. Well, man, I'm going to go ahead and jump to many game balls here. Yeah, and, do it. And, and I'm just going to give it to, to Tim Williams. Okay. Um, for, for just hanging in there doing the little things the coaches has asked you so that you can get more playing time and uh, kudos for you with what you're doing with it. Yeah. I got a tweet uh, during the game saying, I guess Tim Williams is getting a mini game ball. And so I figured between the two of us that, that he was going to, um, I I'm going Ryan Anderson, a little less heralded, uh, but you know, he had deserving. Yes. Very deserving. And that's kind of what we want to do with the, with the mini. Uh, And so you know, four tackles, two for losses. One was a sack, uh, a steady contributor. He got a little more run because Denzel Duvall, you know, was dinged up. And, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I think he, he played well. He cashed in that opportunity uh, and had a really good game. So hats off to uh, Ryan Anderson. What do you got on uh, special teams for me? You know, special teams. I just I wanted to mention the the pump block real quick. I I found it interesting how how Florida lines up there with that little spread uh, alignment, which you know I'm not a real big. I, I don't love I don't love when teams just don't do the traditional sure you know punt line up there for 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 no punt, no you're for, an angry old man it's all right for 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 the for the for the mass protection but stay off um, my lawn. But but it was uh, it was it was interesting how well I'll say this 
it's in, it was interesting to me after the pump block when I went back and looked at who was lined up next to Keith Holcomb on that pump block. So I don't know if you went back and looked at this, but you know the the days of the big tight ends and the days of the big linebackers and and all this is over, man. I mean, you know, the, this is where football was going. You, you had Keith Holcomb, uh, who ended up getting to the ball, but on the left side of him was uh, was one running back, and on the other side of him was the other running back. And I'm yep. sitting here saying. You you got Damian Harris, the top running back in the country last year, and Bo Scarborough, who's coming off a knee injury, and you've got them on a punt, a called punt block um, in that situation. I just found it interesting that you had your two backup running backs in there next to Keith Holcomb. Well, I mean, it's a speed thing, right? I mean, you know, Damian and Bo are going to be, you know, fast for their size. Uh, you know, Damien's just gonna be fast anyways. Bo's gonna have some size and 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 he's gonna be fast too. And and either Keith or Damien could have blocked it if you know Keith did. If he were not there, Damien would have. And the play that Bo made, I thought was was very heads up when you think of, you know, we're talking about a redshirt freshman here. I mean, he went for the ball and he Tried wasn't to throw able it to back. execute it. He yes. wasn't able to to pull it off, but but he had the wherewithal to take the ball and attempt to try to throw it back. Yes. And uh, and in his momentum and such, he just, you know, that's a hard thing to be able to do. But I thought that is very impressive, what he's trying to do there, sort of situational awareness. Um, I You know, I, I really like that. And it's those little things that, that, that you can notice and appreciate that speak to good coaching, good quality no. coaching. Because no, no one would have noticed had he not done that. But the fact no. that he did it is just that little, like, he's getting the coaching. And we talk about our special teams coach. That's probably another conversation. But he's getting, you know, he, he has some football IQ and some coaching uh, sort of mixed up together there that, uh, you know, this kid gets it. And, um, you know, I guess it's going to be next season before, you know, we all get to see and enjoy it. But, but uh, this kid's future is very bright. No, absolutely. But even Keith Holcomb on the punt, right? How many guys go in there and just bend over and try to block it? Not every guy lays out and gives up their body. He fully laid out his body um, and gave it everything he had uh, to annihilate that punt. And um, and good job on that. Um, and then what I found interesting um, is after – we blocked that punt on the very next punt that they return um, on the on the very on the very next punt um, that they uh, that they ended up um, returning for uh, a touchdown. Uh, excuse me. On the very next punt that they attempted, we went after the block again. Right in the same formation. Yep. Are you surprised that we went after a second punt or not because we saw something? Did, did we, we see something, something on Tuesday and that's why we tried for their first two punts to go after them? Yeah, I think, I think you know, you know that we're probably going to end up with pretty good field position. You know that if we go after it, that's probably going to slow down their blocking, uh, you know, or their release uh, to go, to, you know, to go get after the – 
the punt returner. And, and, and probably more than anything, you saw something that said, let's get after it. Let's get after the block because we think we can get it. And so, yeah, I think let's try to block another one here because, you know, we didn't score a touchdown on the first block because we just ran out of field. And so, well, you know, if they're going to punt it and we're going to block it, then, you know, we're going to get really good field position or we may scoop and score it. And so, yeah, let's go after it. So tell me about your boy J.K. Scott on the uh, on the on the thing that got Florida's life and got them excited. Um, you know he had had you know three punts of fifty three yards prior to the fifty nine yarder. Um, did he outkick his coverage? Or looking back at it, it looks like uh, Tony Brown on the right gunner um, didn't keep in his lanes. Yeah, it, you know, and it was a little bit of both. I, you know, fifty nine yards. You know, you hate that he had his best kick of the day, and that's the one that they're able to return. But you know, out kicking your out kicking your coverage is not just an expression, right? It's it it's it's real. And so, and and their punt returner, let's give him a lot of credit for a true freshman. He attacked downfield. He did not waste a lot of energy. You know, I'm going to outflank, and then and then you know he just I'm going to attack right down the field, and uh, and then you know he got to he, he had a, a really good opportunity to. To, to do that and took full advantage of it. And then, you know, of course he gets him a touchdown. And so I don't, I think you gave the stat earlier, when's the last time we've had a punt returned for a touchdown on us. It's been quite a while. So, yeah. 2008. Yeah. So there you go. Right. And so certainly that's something not to be excited about. And, and that was free points. That's points that they would not have earned. Uh, and so, you know, they might've only had seven on the game had they not returned that one. So, you know what do you do? That's a little frustrating, and that's something certainly that certainly that we can shore up. But you know, I I bring it up. Head. I bring it. I bring it up to you because right after the play, um, they they the cameraman when I watched it at home zoomed in on Nick Saban, and, and he was motioning to somebody, and he was showing somebody on the right side who's supposed to go up and out. Yeah. And so when I went back and broke the play down. Tony Brown, just to be fair, I don't know if he was trying to avoid the, you know, the block, but he's on the, he's the right gunner and he collapses all the way to the left side. I mean, he, he totally doesn't, doesn't keep containment at all. And so I'm just going to guess that's who he was talking to there. Um, and, and, and poor Tony Brown, you know, had that block in the back later in the game and, and, and you saw the, the cameraman zoom in on this, um, I, I I would you know Tony had a tough day uh, with the uh, coach's doghouse. I have I mean we've seen Saban get on to players and get on to officials. That seemed to be a very prolonged get on situation of him getting getting on Tony and and I am not a lip reader and I don't pretend to play one, but I would swear that he said you're done. At, at the end of that. And so I was trying to pay attention during the rest of sort of kick coverage is Tony Brown in there. And, dude, and I did dude, see him in there. Dude, dude, sometimes, man, I think we're like right brain, left brain, because I was sitting there, you know, cause I don't get to see the chewing out as well in the stands. And so when I saw it on the replay, I was like, okay, does Tony Brown come in the game again? <laughs> yeah. Does he make it on the field again? And so there was a Tony Brown sighting. Yes. There was a Tony Brown sighting. Wow. Well, I, you know, we, we, we've talked him up from, from other times. 
Um, you know, maybe this will be some, some, you know, th this is an opportunity for him to respond. And, um, it was an unnecessary block in the back. Um, he's had another one of the, I I'll just say that the gunner position, uh, has been, has been challenging and, um, it's, it's, I'm glad the coach got on him because I think it's good for these young players to see that. Yeah, I think it is. And it's, you know, and I mean, did it have to be maybe as harsh as it looked? I, you know, I don't know, maybe not, but, but uh, I'll say this on special teams alone, we've gotten a lot more good out of Tony Brown than we have bad. Yes. And and so I'm not going to profess to not be human. And so, you know, if he's going to make a mistake, you know, they're all correctable, but they're also, they're going to happen. You're not going to play flawless. And so I'll take his good and then, and then I'll just live with where he, where there happens to be a mistake because no, that's a better way to say it. I think, I think if you take the whole body of work this season, he's definitely made, he, he's been in, he's been in, his name has been mentioned for, for, for making more plays. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Um, uh, last thing I have real quick, were you surprised with the difficulty of the Florida field goal unit? Were you surprised they even attempted uh, the, the field goal? And, and kudos for DJ Petway. You know, three different guys could have blocked the punt, and, and, and Petway got, was the one that you know, got credit for it. Were you surprised on fourth and six with the offensive challenges they were going to bring to the table? That you know, fourth and six at, at our twenty-three yard line, they don't go for it there. I don't know. It's easy to kind of look back and say, "Oh, you know, why did they do that?" But do you have to think that you know, getting points on the board in that type of situation is smart football? And so it's almost like which is which truly is the lesser of two evils? Going for it on fourth and six when six by itself seems almost insurmountable versus, you know, let's kick it and get three. Um, and you think maybe it's maybe 50% chance at three is better than a 10% chance at getting six yards. Okay. I just was, I was surprised they did it. And I'm making up that 10%. I'm just saying, man, I have a 50% chance at points versus, less than 50% chance at getting six yards and that doesn't even equal points. So. No, 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 that's, no, that's fair. The, um, well, I will also mention, I didn't realize this till I looked at the stats here. I was going to, I was going to applaud JK Scott for his six punts on the day with a 51.2 average. And then I flip over to Florida, their punter had eight punts on the day for a 51.8 average. Um, and I guess I just didn't pay enough attention to to their punter because um, he's a Florida Gator. But um, we we had 14 punts on the day, averaging close to 52 yards. Man, we had some good punting going on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, let me th let me throw this out, and I throw it out kind of with the caveat of of a question. And so, you know, Kirby Smart leaving for for Georgia, Chris Black transferring, uh, the playoff matchup with uh, Michigan State. Um, you want to hit any of these topics now, or you just want to come back and and uh, and and spend some more time on each of those and other developments? Yeah, I think we need to give the the semifinal game uh, its own platform. Uh, you know, we can 
we we can uh, we can we can spend we can we can spend plenty of time talking about those topics here okay. uh, prior to kickoff, and uh, I think we definitely should come back for another show to do that. Very good. Well, let's just commit to do that, and then uh, we'll put that out and um, and go from there. It's uh, it you know, this is always an interesting time of year, right? It's the holidays, obviously, you know, because of all of that, but it's also a real cool time. That we've, I think, over the last, you know, Saban era, have enjoyed really as Bama fans because it's the the season's over, so we kind of get to bask and puff our chefs out, you know, for the season, SEC champs, and then now like the playoff season. Now, I will say this season was a little bit better when it was the BCS, and we knew that we were going to play for the national title. You know, now we're in this group of four kind of situation, but it's still a real cool, you know, feeling for the next you know, a couple of weeks to know that we kicked everyone's ass in, 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 you know, in the season we're in, you know, the whole sort of theme marketing theme is who's in, well, we're in and uh, we just kind of get to as, as fans anyways, sort of get to sit back and rest on that. That's pretty, that's pretty exciting. No, absolutely, man. It's um, we are, we are spoiled rotten. Um, all Bama fans should realize this enjoy Saban while he is here. Um, because um, it was a pretty crappy decade uh, until 2007. And so we uh, we lived through 10 years of crap, and now we have eight years of fun. And, um, you know, Bama fans get to one of these game, one of these postseason games because they're not going to be there forever. Absolutely. Hey, does Henry take home the uh, hardware? Um, he should go away in a landslide. Um, it, it shouldn't even be close. Um, or there's something wrong, because uh, I will just quickly say that it's supposed to be the most valuable player to your team. It's supposed to be the player that is the most critical to your team's success. And um, I don't think um, I don't think the Clemson quarterback is close to him in that regard. Okay, okay. I like the irony or the potential for irony with the uh, the the Stanford uh, player uh, McCaffrey. I like the idea that when Mark Ingram won, he beat out Stanford running back Toby Gearhart, and uh, and so you know if Henry wins, he might have the opportunity to uh, to, to to nudge out McCaffrey. So I think that's interesting. And then I like the fact that uh, McCaffrey beat uh, Barry Sanders's uh, all-time season record, and Barry Sanders Jr. Uh, plays for Stanford. So I kind of like the overlapping storylines there. Absolutely, man. I like that kind of stuff. All right. Well, hey, we'll come back together and uh, we will uh, talk some more football. But in the meantime, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast powered by powered by Bama Hammer. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and, of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the Tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? 
I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.